talking about healing from abuse, from physical abuse and from verbal abuse. Uh, and message, uh, Eric's going to come up and give the message. But before he does, just take a moment to think about your own story and see if it resonates with this guy. My name is Alan Light, and this is my story. I spent most of my life feeling like I couldn't trust God. As a child, I was subjected to physical, mental and emotional, spiritual, and even sexual abuse. At home, I felt safest when I was hiding in my closet. At school, I was bullied and abused by boys, girls, teachers, bus drivers, and even principals. At church, I felt unwelcomed, disliked, and alone. My oldest sister was very ill for most of her life, and she suffered constantly, and it took its toll on my family. When I was young, I found her lying face down in our kiddie pool, and the first thought I had was that it's probably for the best. Now, I ended up saving her in that moment, but that thought destroyed me. I felt it validated every awful and hurtful thing that had ever been said or done to me. And so from that moment, I set a plan to end my life. The moment that I was going to end my life, God spoke to me saying, I have something better planned for you. He saved me in that moment. Now, I wish that I could tell you that I gave my life over to God at that moment, but I still couldn't trust him. The abuse continued. God still felt so distant and I got tired of waiting on his timing. So I took my life in a direction away from God. And from there, the suicidal thoughts returned. Years later, my wife-to-be introduced me to Gateway, and the messages there were the beginning of my heart healing. But then my sister died at the age of 39, and I was so angry with God. And I argued with him saying, why did you allow her to suffer her entire life? And it was then, through reading the Bible, that God revealed to me that despite her illness and despite her pain, that she wasn't the one that was suffering, that she lived a life filled with greater joy and peace than I had ever lived. I was the one that was suffering and I was the one that needed healing. And so I further began to trust in God. And from that moment, it was like he was holding my hand and leading me into the world saying, I want you to see the work that I'm doing in the world and that it is good. And so I ended up serving people in Southeast Asia on a short-term mission trip. And there I met so many people who were having dreams and visions of Jesus and he was healing them from all kinds of things. And it was God that was telling me, there's nothing beyond my power. There's nothing that I can't manage. There's no hurt or pain that I won't heal see that I am restoring them, body and soul. Know that there's no tear that isn't felt by me and that isn't wiped away by me. 
And so I finally gave that moment of my sister's drowning over to him. And I never had another suicidal thought again. He had healed my heart. But then God told me that he still wasn't done with me, that he wanted to continue to heal the hurts that I had inside. And so through prayer, he led me into Gateway's recovery group. And there I witnessed so many more of his children that are being healed, people that he's restoring, body and soul. And so I continue to lean into him and to give over these hurts. I believe the lie that God couldn't heal me, but with his help, he's healing all my hurts. Some of you might remember he shared his story at Easter two years ago. And it's such a beautiful story, such a powerful story of healing that we recorded it so we could share that story with the rest of our campuses here in Austin. And Alan is now leading our men's recovery group. And I can tell you, um, getting to know him as we were both in the same group a couple of years ago, his countenance changed as he was experiencing healing. He was the first to kind of really open his heart to what he'd experienced. And as a result, the other men started to share openly. And literally it was like a cloud lifted. He started to smile, he started to experience joy. As he said, like he'd never experienced before. In fact, there was another part of the story he shared with us that wasn't on the film where after a while in grieving the loss of his sister, his sister had, she had intellectual difficulties and she was really more like a six or seven year old and so his whole life she would run and give him big hugs and it was annoying to him for a lot of those years and then as he reflected back on his life and wondered where was God in the midst of all of my suffering he had this thought from God that his sister was there as a messenger of unconditional love representing God to him only God can take a story like this and bring something beautiful out of it And so today we're talking about abuse and healing from physical and verbal abuse. And I want you to hear our heart behind this. God wants us to care for what's going on in each other's lives. That's why we talk about things that can be difficult and uncomfortable because this is a real problem that's pervasive. But as a people, who follow Jesus, we wanna be a community that represents Jesus to the world around us. We want to experience his healing and bring that healing to other people. Listen to what the scriptures describe as what the church family can be. First Corinthians 12, God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer community that cares for each other, that is there for those who are suffering, that's the kind of community that God is calling us to be. And really, many of you have been here for many, many years, and you know Gateway has done a stellar job at this in many ways. We've seen God heal many people from all sorts of tragic circumstances. But here's the thing about abuse, it can be hidden. And so to talk about it today is just one step in uncovering this epidemic so that we can stand with those that are facing this evil 
and find freedom. Now, our senior pastor, John Burke, interviewed Rick Reynolds, who's an expert on the topic. He started Crossroads Counseling Center. He's the president of Affair Recovery, the largest provider of affair counseling in the world. And in his practice, he's dealt with many people who've gone through childhood trauma related to this kind of abuse. I want you to listen to a little bit of the interview as Rick describes how prevalent this can be. You said something that was shocking to me about how prevalent abuse is now. Right. You know, it's, it's, some people say it's the larger uh, health issue we have right now. A full 75% of calls to 911 are actually domestic violence. And it's not just men to women. There are also cases where men are also being abused. It's not as prevalent as women, but as many as one in six men and one in four women experience severe physical abuse. That's severe physical That's abuse. That's severe physical mm. abuse. Wow. So we truly are out of control. We truly are. In fact, more women are injured from domestic violence than they are by rape, muggings, and car accidents combined. And what does that do with children in the home? Well, obviously, it leaves children uh, in really unsafe environments. I mean, if you want to stop behavioral problems, uh, mental health problems, you had, need to have children who are protected because it's that childhood trauma that will play out in life as they get older. So when they witness that, um, Basil Vanderkoek wrote a great book called The Body Keeps Score, and he talks about how witnessing trauma as a child, you carry it with you into adulthood, even if you don't, even if you're really resilient and you don't uh, act in the same way, you actually don't let it keep you down, it still impacts your health. Why do we talk about subjects like this? Well, it's uh, an epidemic. I mean, if you heard his statistics, 20% of us have been affected by this kind of abuse. I mean, if 20% of us lost a leg, if 200 of us that come to Gateway South suddenly was missing a leg, we talk about that. That's something we would need to address. See, we live in a abusive and evil world. And I want you to hear more than anything else today that God wants to heal you if you've been the victim of abuse. And if you have a tendency towards anger or control or manipulation and you've been abusive, I want you to hear clearly, God wants to heal you. That God can bring healing even from the most painful moments, that he can actually help us move past the evil actions of others so that no longer haunts our present but keeps us from hoping in our future. God wants us, if you're here and you're neither one who suffered abuse or an abuser, I want you to hear this message today knowing that God wants to show us how to be a healing agent to those that are around us because it's all around us whether we realize it or recognize it let's recognize it god wants us to be an even better healing community and that means understanding how to walk alongside with people who've been through it so what is verbal and physical abuse and what is it not this is important it's important that we know the signs beverly engel wrote a book the emotionally abusive relationship how to stop being abused and how to stop abusing 
In that book, she says that verbal emotional abuse is any non-physical behavior or attitude that controls, intimidates, subjugates, demeans, punishes, or isolates another person by using degradation, humiliation, or fear. Verbal emotional abuse is an ongoing pattern of behavior. Now, it's careful. It's important to understand what it's not. It's not the occasional blow up. It's not a struggle to communicate or angry frustration. It's not saying things you later regret. That's being human. We're talking about a pervasive way of living. And remember, last week, we finished up a series called God Likes You with Ephesians chapter 6 and reminding us that evil hates us. Evil tries to manipulate and deceive our childhood wounds to use it against us to steal and kill and destroy. Not only us, but our relationships. But here's the beautiful thing. We can resist evil. We can stand against it. Whether we've been abused or we've been abusive, you can stand with Christ's help and actually find healing and become an agent of healing. Now, physical abuse may be obvious, but verbal emotional abuse is harder to detect. But just think how opposite it is of God's character and God's ways. Let's just look through these again. She mentioned degradation. That's the idea of verbally tearing someone down. Ephesians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5, God says, encourage each other and build each other up just as you were already doing. Fear, intimidation is another method. This is threatening harm or punishment. Well, God says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced God's perfect love. The scriptures tell us that there's a difference between discipline and punishment. That discipline is something we do to, to help people along, people that we love. But this is different. It's rooted in fear and intimidation. And then there's the word abuse. Abuse controls, intimidates, subjugates, demeans, punishes, or isolates. So different than God's heart, God's character. The scriptures tell us that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. That's the beauty of love. That's the essence of who God is. That's what we're invited to experience and to become. But abuse is absolutely not from God. And yet abusive people will try to use God's word to manipulate and blame and accuse and get their their way. And it's blasphemy to attribute to God what comes from the hand of evil. And let's just be really honest for a moment. Let's talk about where churches have done harm. First, in this passage, we just went through Ephesians the last several weeks, and we didn't get to spend much time in chapter 5 because we wanted to look at it today. But in that, it says this phrase, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, abusive men love that passage. In fact, it's the only one they have memorized. But the way it's being used is absolutely not what was intended. When used to control or subjugate or manipulate Wives, it, it's a form of abuse. It's abusing the, even the passage. Let's look at that in the context. Just before that verse is this one. It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
See, this is the overarching principle of God's kingdom. See, the ways of this world are to dominate, to manipulate, to control, and even abuse each other. But the ways of God, when you say yes to Jesus, you begin following him. You're now in his kingdom. In the ways of the kingdom of God, you try to submit yourself to Christ to seek the good of others first. See, in the ways of the world, it's our choice when we choose to play God and try to force others to do my will. But instead, in the ways of the kingdom, we let God be God. And we willingly lay down our self-interest for the good of others. The ways of the kingdom of Jesus are the golden rule. To treat others as you would have them treat you. But unfortunately, this principle has been reversed through the evil twisting of Scripture. But listen to the more of the context. It's really a beautiful picture. He's painting a, a, a portrait, really, for, for marriage to look like the relationship that God has with his church. For wives, in Ephesians 5. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives would sub should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Do you see the beauty in this phrase? It's actually about mutual submission. Where husbands rooted in Christ's love so love their wives that they choose to submit, to surrender, to lay down, to sacrifice their very lives, just as Jesus did. Even if it means laying down a round of golf or Monday night football. Just learning to actually care what other people care about, especially in the home. It's the opposite of abuse, of control, of intimidation, of manipulation and blame. It's actually an invitation to self-sacrifice for her good. And here's the beautiful picture. Wives are so rooted in Christ's love, they choose to, to not try to control or dominate, force or coerce their husbands, but instead they choose to love by showing support and respect. It's freely chosen mutual surrender, mutual submission out of love for Jesus, who modeled what love does for us, his bride. That's what the scriptures call the church, those who follow Jesus, the bride of Christ. Yet it's been turned upside down by evil when we try to force submission. This is the exact opposite of that. Paul goes on to explain the same with children and parents, that, that our relationship should be one in which children honor their parents, obey their parents. But parents should not exasperate their children. That, that word exasperate literally comes from a word that means don't seed anger in them. Don't put the seeds of anger in your children by being harsh or withdrawing love or being abusive, blaming, manipulating. Abuse is not okay in any family, in any way, shape, or form. And it's inspired by evil. And we don't have to allow it to continue in our homes. We can stop what we may have experienced and our parents may have experienced. It can stop with us. It does not have to continue. Now, you may be wondering, well, how do we respond when someone comes to us for help? It's important that we realize that a lot of times this is something that happens beyond closed doors. And so when someone comes for help, it's because they're in real desperate need. And it's important that we just listen. First and foremost, we just listen. Just let them share their story. And then we ask questions. 
You don't move to platitudes. You don't just go right in to fix their problems. You don't demean what's happening. Oh, all marriages struggled or you're just being triggered or you have to just forgive and move on. Now, what's true in normal relationships, in normal human dynamics can be actually dangerous in truly abusive situations. Jesus said this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. See, abusive people are manipulated by evil and evil may say all the right things, but it doesn't produce the fruit of God's spirit, which is love and joy and peace and kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. See, but those of us who were abused growing up, we are used to being blamed. And so if we're not careful, we might actually easily be drawn into a relationship where that kind of unhealthy dynamic continues. Now here's a survey that we came across that was really concerning. When survivors were surveyed and asked, when you were assaulted before you got help from someone, who did you think would be the most helpful? Well, the top answer was the church. Second was a counselor, then an attorney, and then a police officer. But then when they were asked after getting help, who was actually the most helpful, church came in last. It was even below the category other. It's not good. And it shouldn't be that way. And I don't think it's been that way at Gateway because we've taught on this over the years because we will address these topics that might make us feel uncomfortable. But we all need to understand how to be Jesus to people suffering from evil's hidden effects. I think churches sometimes miss God's heart for the abused, trying to protect God's heart for saving marriages. But it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can care for that person who's been abused and advocate that they not give up. See, God does not want divorce. He wants both people to rely on his love, to humbly heal and grow us up in love. But God also hates violence and hard-heartedness. And God protects the innocent party. In fact, the scriptures tell us that God gave the certificate of divorce to protect from the hard-hearted. Jesus quotes this in Matthew 19. He replied in a conversation with this. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard heart, but it was not what God had originally intended. See, in ancient days, if you got indebted and you couldn't pay, you became a servant or a slave to that person until you paid off your debts. It's a master to servant relationship. But you know, it's not much different today. I mean, if you get into debt, you become a servant trying to work to pay off those debts. That's why it's called MasterCard. But I want you to think about this for a moment. This master-servant relationship, which by the way is nothing like the African slave trade. This is far different. This was something you willingly chose in order to pay off a debt. And yet, even then, in this master-servant relationship, in the law of Moses, God's word protects the servant, the one lesser in the relationship, by setting them free from physical abuse. Exodus 21, if a man hits the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he will let the person go free because of the eye. If he knocks out a tooth of his man, of his man or woman servant, he will let the person go free because of the tooth. 
Now, if God cares to protect the abused party in a debt covenant relationship, would he not also want to protect someone in a free will covenant of marriage? Of course he would. Physical abuse is absolutely out of bounds to God's will and ways. But that doesn't mean that divorce is the immediate answer. If you find yourself in this circumstance, the first thing is to get help. Then to set loving, healthy boundaries. Then to demand that the abuser gets help. And then moving out, separation, to be in a safe environment until the other person gets help. This can be actually the most loving way forward. Divorce should be used as a last disciplinary act in order to move the hard-hearted spouse towards healing. If you're in that circumstance and you wanna know more of the scriptures that, that help guide and through that process, just find me and we'll send that to you. But if you grew up in these environments, I want you to hear so clearly today, God wants to heal. God can heal. And you may not realize it, but listen to Rick as he talks about the effects on the abused and the person who's abusive. Listen to this. If, if someone grew up in a situation where they were being consistently verbally abused or especially physically abused, what kind of symptoms do you look for well, to, to know if healing still needs to happen? Well, I think, so what you're talking about are those um, adverse childhood events. So if a child zero to 18 experiences uh, physical abuse, there's a really good chance they're gonna be suffering from trauma that occurred during childhood. And as a result of that, they'll either be more likely uh, to be in a physically abusive relationship or potentially, uh, conversely, they could also become somebody who is abusive in situations. So I think it's critical, even for their physical health, I mean, the biggest predictor of both behavioral and health issues is trauma during childhood. What are some of the things that, uh, if, if you grew up in a situation like that, why is it important to go after healing? Well, I think that people who grew up potentially in angry homes, it doesn't mean they're gonna have an angry issue, but people have propensities because of things that have happened, potential trauma in their life, the way they respond to things, and that fight, flight, freeze. A lot of times people are actually caught in that fight portion where the amygdala fires, they become extremely angry, and as Richard Rohr says, pain that's not transformed is gonna be transmitted, and the thing they wanna do is somehow transmit that pain thinking that somehow they'll get rid of it either through that verbal abuse or through physical abuse, abuse when in reality um, anger begets anger it really doesn't help the situation it actually exacerbates it and makes it continue to grow pain that's not transformed is going to be transmitted and that can be true for all of us and that's why our childhood pain can be passed on from us to our children as it has come down to us from generation after generation until we choose with God's help to put an end to the trauma. If you've experienced trauma in this way, it needs to be healed. We can be healed. And the beautiful thing, as you heard in Alan's story, is that God can not only bring healing to you, but healing through you into the lives of other people. But when we don't deal with these traumatic wounds, depending on how we processed it, 
We may struggle with abusive tendencies now ourselves. As, as Rick mentioned, there's this thing happening in our brain. We went through this in the Triggered series that, that when you're in the midst of a, an argument that it triggers an unhealed wound, all of a sudden it, it moves your brain into fight, flight, or freeze. And so anytime an argument might come up, it might have nothing to do with the childhood trauma. You can immediately go back to the fight mode. As soon as that unhealed abuse gets triggered, you fight and you can't seem to control it. Your reaction is to control and manipulate, to yell, to rage, intimidate, to threat, to hit, to break things. And you don't even know why. It's, it's because of an unhealed trauma. You can be healed of that. You must get help for healing. Don't let evil do that to you, to use you as a pawn the same way it was used before. And that's why we offer things like open share on Wednesday nights, recovery for anyone, no matter what their struggle might be, a safe space for healing, a place where I've found healing in my own life. Finding a counselor, finding someone you can talk to that help you process some of these things. See, these recovery and counseling can help root out the anger so it's no longer buried deep inside. But others of us, we may have grown up in an abusive environment and our response was the opposite. We tend to be run over and we find it hard to stand up for ourselves. We might even be subconsciously attracted to people who are just like our parents. In fact, psychologists tell us there's a subconscious desire to be with someone who's like the abuser in our life so that we can somehow resolve conflict with that person as if it would heal the pain from the past. You and I, we can be part of stopping this cycle. And here's how. Let's talk about it just for a few weeks to begin this journey. To heal from abuse. First, know your identity in Christ. This whole last series, if you missed it, go back and listen to God Likes You. It's a look through the letter to the Ephesians written to people who follow Jesus to understand what happens, the transformation that happens, that you're moved from dead to alive spiritually, that you've been rescued by grace through faith, not anything you've done, but because of God's unconditional love for you. And when you say yes to him, when you say yes to what Jesus did on the cross, yes, I need forgiveness and I want to let you lead me. You're acknowledging that that you need to die to your old life. And as Jesus rose from the dead, we are resurrected in our hearts to live a new life. When this happens, we have a new identity. Our identity is not the worst things that we've done. It's now whose we are. It's not even who we are, it's whose we are. We belong to the King, a child of the King. Knowing our identity and serving out of gratitude for all that God has done. Not in order to get God to like us. He already does. But out of gratitude, we serve others. We seek to lose our life serving others. That's how we find our identity. Knowing your identity in Christ leads to then seeking support. Trauma from an abusive past can allow lies to grow in our minds. Of who's to blame and what we deserve about shame and guilt. And it can be confusing. And that's where others can help speak the truth. That's why getting connected in community, having other people that can speak into your life is so important to dispel the lies you might be believing. Looking at the scriptures to understand who you really are and what God's real intent for your life. There's also setting 
loving boundaries. It's not ungodly to say no. Now, some of you might remember this summer, we had a guest speaker named Jaw Jung. He started this thing called Rejection Therapy. He was an entrepreneur, and he was really nervous about asking for money to fund his venture. And so what he did in order to gain the courage, he decided to do 100 days of asking people that he knew they would say no to him. 100 days of rejection. And it was kind of a, a cool experiment until people started saying yes to even the most absurd questions he had for them. Like, can I have a donut made into Olympic rings? And then she said yes at Krispy Kreme. And eventually, ironically, now his full-time career is going around and telling people how to live with rejection. He never quite started that company, but he didn't need to now. He makes so much money doing this, right? Well, after that, I was inspired. So I decided to kind of change it up a little bit. I've been doing a 100 days of saying no to someone else. It's been liberating. It's been amazing. You see, it's not ungodly to say no. It's okay to learn to say no. I mean, Jesus did this with people. In Nazareth, people tried to kill him. And he just stepped through the crowd and left the dangerous situation. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, were trying to trap him. And and they would ask him questions. And he knew it was a trap. And so he instead would demand that they answer first. And you may be thinking, well, what about that that phrase, we're supposed to turn the other cheek? I mean, didn't Jesus lay down his life? Well, the answer is yes, but not against his will. See, when you and I are faced with a circumstance where we don't want to do it because it's hard, Saying yes is the right thing. It's okay to sacrifice on behalf of God, but getting hit is not the same thing. Turning the other cheek to get hit again in an abusive relationship is not what was intended. Jesus did not allow abusive people to control his will. He always did God's will and only what God wanted. See, at times, we need to draw loving boundaries and learn to say, no, this cannot continue. See, in the end, God had a plan to defeat evil by Jesus choosing to, not being forced, but choosing to lay down his life. Jesus fulfilled God's mission in life. In a book by Dr. Margaret Rink, a clinical psychologist and author, she dissects what happens in emotionally abusive relationships and offers sound and compassionate advice in a book with a tough title, Christian Men Who Hate Women. But listen to what she says. Dr. Rink recommends using assertive responses to draw boundaries with abusive bullying. Phrases like this, I guess we disagree. It's okay with me if we don't see eye to eye on this. Drawing that boundary. Or this one, it's not okay for you to react to me in this manner. Again, not allowing them to trigger you, even though they're triggered, just calmly. It's not okay for you to react to me in this manner. Or this one, I will not be manipulated by your screaming and yelling. Or finally, if you continue to treat me this way, then I will have to do this. Listing out the consequences if they choose to treat you that way again. Now, until abusive people hit this firm boundary, they're not forced to come to terms with how unloving and and destructive their behavior is. Learning to set these limits is difficult, but it's necessary. In fact, it's the most loving thing that you can do. And it helps break the cycle. 
It's not loving to let evil have its way with another person, even an abusive person. Remember, we talked about this last week. The scriptures tell us that people are not our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And he can manipulate people using the wounds from our past to get us to do terrible things. But the person that has been hurting you can turn to God away from evil, can find healing, can be a force of good in this world. The most loving thing to do is to help them see their actions of evil and to break from them so they might turn to God for healing. Next is to stay safe. It's important when physical violence becomes a part of your relationship to find a place where you're okay, where your kids are okay. We have resources to help you do that. And remember in that situation, God reminds us not to fear for he is with us. And next to seek God's healing. Listen to what the psychologist Rick talks about here. So Rick, from your experience, what are some principles or steps that people can take to move forward toward healing? Well, I think you've got to look at both sides of the equation, the people who are abusive as well as the people who have been abused. For the people who are abused, so often they struggle with shame, they struggle with um, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, depending on what all has occurred. And those things are healable. I mean, seeing a good therapist, being in a really solid, supportive community, domestic violence centers, there are great resources that can help those people regain their life and, in my opinion, become stronger and better and wiser. I mean, it can actually be a catalyst that allows for transformation for them. But it's not going to be transformative if you stay in kind of a victim mentality. Between every stimulus and response, there's a chance to have a choice, and they can choose to rise above and to grow and to find others to walk with them and to heal. On the other side of the equation, those who are abusive certainly need to accept responsibility for their issue. I mean, so often they too want to play victim and blame somebody else for the reason they're so angry, that if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that. But that whole sense of blaming other people is still victim thinking. And as long as the abuser views themselves as a victim, they're not going to be motivated to do something about it. But they also can take this issue, and it can be transformative. It's one of those things that can allow us to grow, we can heal, and we can actually become much better human beings. seen people choose to no longer stay in the shadows and instead seek community, to seek healing in the midst of relationships. We've seen people struggling in abusive relationships move towards honesty and finding their identity in Christ and finding the strength to draw healthy boundaries. We've seen people who've struggled with being abusive listen to those boundaries, stop playing the victim and humbly take responsibility because they too are realizing that God loves them forgives them when they turn to him and wants to help them grow and heal. And that's the kind of community we want to be and continue to be. Now, next week, we're talking about God wants to heal you from sexual abuse. And then in week three in the series, we're talking about how God heals us who've experienced abortion 
A third of us have been affected in some way or another. And it's important not to miss these weeks. In fact, there's a workshop uh, called Then and Now put on by Jamie and some of our leaders if you, for women who want to find healing from abortion. Now, I, I know many of you have lots of friends that you've been inviting. And so I wanted to tell you what's coming so you can decide which will be their first week. Or wait until November 3rd. But it's important. I want you to know we're talking about these things that are not often talked about because God brings healing. That you don't have to suffer in silence. That God brings healing to us. God told Moses and the Israelites, I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord who heals you. Let me share one more step. Seek to bring God's healing to others. Johnny Prince, a friend of mine, who helped us actually start a recovery for men program going. We had breakfast the other day. He now works at Austin Recovery. And he was telling me that some of these folks that are there, they've been in really bad places in their addiction. And they come, some having so desperate, they were eating food out of the trash. And as the head chef, he wanted to give them a different experience. And so he changed the name. It's no longer the cafeteria. Now it's the dining hall. They no longer use plastic knives and forks, but silverware. Him and his team began preparing meals from places like India, Morocco, and France, knowing that some of these folks may never have a chance to travel to those places. Many of these folks struggling with addiction because they turned to alcohol or drugs because of their own childhood trauma. I said, well, what are you guys having for dinner tonight? And he surprised me. He said, well, I've been reading about medieval kitchens. And I was curious, you know, tell me more. He said, tonight I want to serve these folks what kings and queens who helped us start recovery, serving people in recovery as if they were kings and queens. See, that's the heart of God, that we might experience healing and bring that healing to others, helping them see that they too can be children of the king. So the band is gonna play a song, and during the song, I want you to consider letting God speak to you in this moment. Let him breathe hope into your soul breathe courage into your heart that you might know what next step you might need to take. Maybe you'll bring to mind the, the, the face or an image of someone that he wants you to be a servant to, to heal them. Maybe it's a particular step of finding healing. Just let God speak to you in this moment.